chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Before we dive into Joshua chapter 5, let's remember that this, this book, though written several thousand years ago, is so relevant, so practical for us today. It's about gaining new territory with our God. It's about going further with God than we've ever been before. God is always calling us throughout our life to go higher, to go further with Him, to experience more of Him and more of the life with Him that He created us to have. And yet we are seeing in the book of Joshua that in going higher, in going further, there's going to be opposition to that. There's going to be obstacles in our way. And and we need to realize that sometimes even the more committed, the more consecrated, the more dedicated we become to God, the more opposition, the more obstacles there are. And instead of looking at those obstacles and opposition as a time to throw up our hands and give up, especially in times where we don't know what to do, Let's be reminded that it's at those times where we are so over our head and where we don't know what to do that the power of God has an opportunity to step in and God has an opportunity to step in and do supernatural things. And so the impossible maybe that stands before us should never discourage us as believers in Jesus Christ, but just remind us that it is in those even impossible situations that just presents God an opportunity to show Himself as God in our lives. They had crossed the Jordan at this point, Joshua chapter 5. So the Jordan was now behind them, their sort of first obstacle. But Jericho, the biggest most formidable obstacle lay right in front of them. So they were sort of in a place in life where they really couldn't go back, but in their minds, they couldn't go forward either. And they really didn't know what to do because God hadn't really given them any instruction up to this point about what would be the next step. And you can imagine putting yourself in, especially Joshua's shoes, the leader of the weight and the burden that he carried at this point. Of of knowing that, I know God's called us to conquer Jericho and keep on moving up the mountains and going higher, if you will. But how do we do it? When do we do it? What do we do? And so, if you will, this, this burden, this weight was... On Joshua, and I think it was probably felt by all the people of Israel. I'm sure there have been many times in our life where even as a Christian, we were at sort of a crossroads, if you will. Maybe we were in between, sort of in a transition between our Jordan and our Jericho. And yet we didn't really at that moment have any clear direction from God about what the next step was to take and and there was such a weight and burden about God I I don't want to mess up but I don't know what to do I I don't know when to do it whatever And, and I want you to really capture that mindset because in Joshua chapter 5 what God is going to show his people from Joshua all the way down to the youngest child that could grasp it was that at times in our life, 
where we're not really maybe hearing God or seeing God or knowing what to do or what is the next thing to do. There is always one thing that we can always, as believers in God, choose to do. And that is worship God right where we are. We can always choose to worship God. And it is out of that choice to worship God. When we don't know what else to do is when I believe God then begins to really work and direct our lives. In fact, there's two very familiar verses in the Old Testament book of Proverbs that illustrates this. You probably know them by heart as well. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what's the next phrase? He will direct your path. But notice, before he will begin to direct our paths, comes the trusting in the Lord with all our heart, leaning not into our own understanding, and in all our ways, acknowledging him. That's worship. And so as we move through Joshua chapter 5, what we're going to see tonight is really God calling his people to worship. That even though the obstacle of Jericho was a physical obstacle, that battle, that war was not going to be won by the people of God becoming great military heroes. It wasn't going to be won by any military might or any human wisdom. or hum- It was going to be won because the people of God was going to bow down to their God and worship Him and trust Him for the victory. And that same principle many times in our lives is true as well. Though we try to figure it out ourselves and we try to come up with our own understanding and our own strategy and our own Uh, way of doing things and, and exploring this option or that option, many times we just need to fall to our knees and worship God. And it is in those moments of just pouring out our heart and soul to God that God begins to move and direct His people. And that's exactly what we see. Joshua chapter 5. When all the Amorite kings on the west side of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the seacoast heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Jordan, before the Israelites, while they crossed, they lost their courage and could not even breathe for fear of the Israelites. A couple of things. Remember, this is is basically a promise of God being fulfilled. God said, if you obey me, I will go before you and all the enemies that you were afraid of, they're going to actually be afraid of you. Remember, these are the same enemies, if you will, that 40 years before when Moses sent the spies into the land, they came back to the people of God that, oh, we can't go into that land. Those people are giants. We're like grasshoppers. And they feared the people in the land. And yet God said, that's the land I promised you. You don't need to fear anybody. If you just go and trust me, They'll actually be the ones afraid, and we see that coming to pass here. We also see the fact that in that phrase, lost their courage, the Hebrew literally means to melt or dissolve. They were literally melting and dissolving before the Israelites. They didn't even have any breath, literally no spirit, no life in them. In a sense, they, the enemies of Israel, dried up just like the Jordan River dried up. But one of the things that God 
spoke to me about in Joshua 5.1 was the importance of testifying. Because notice, it was when they heard about what God had done that this all began to happen. And I want to encourage you tonight with the importance of testimony. The importance of testifying about who God is and what God has done and and what God is doing in your life. That's why God wants us to testify, to, to share our testimony and to keep our, if you will, our testimony up to date. Our testimony as a Christian doesn't have to just be when we came to Christ. Our testimony can be very powerful 20 years after we came to Christ when we share with others, whether they're Christians or not, how God has worked in our life and how we have seen the power of God and the presence of God operate in our life. Don't ever minimize the power and the effectiveness and the importance of your testimony and letting others know what God has done and is doing in your life. We see that in Joshua 5.1. And then we come to Joshua 5.2. So, well, before we get to that, so, just want to say this. So, opportune time to strike, right? Strike while the iron's hot. They've crossed, the Jericho's, the enemies are afraid, so let's just go, right? I mean, that's what we as human beings do. There's no reason to wait, right, God? Let's just go. But God wants them to pause. He wants them to wait and pause because it's more important that they just get to a point where, again, it's all about worship. It's all about getting themselves spiritually right before God more than it is striking while the iron's hot or, you know, making sure that the fear of the enemies don't dissipate and and doesn't go away and and that something... No, it's all about worship with God. So, God works in strange ways. And, and, and here's this supposed, in a sense, army that's going to go into Jericho, right, and conquer Jericho, and God wants basically all the men to be disabled for a while. He says, at that time the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites once again. Now, A principle that, again, I want to share with you because God just so spoke to me about this at this moment was this. And I needed to be reminded of this. Trusting God can put us in a vulnerable position. Trusting God at times in our life can put us in a vulnerable position. We're like, God, we why would you want us to do... We're just, we're sitting ducks, right? God wants us to begin to see in our lives through trusting Him and through our spiritual growth that we're always vulnerable, whether we think we are or not. See, we think we're in control. And God wants to show us through our lives that even when we think we're in control, we're really not in control. We're really always vulnerable. And trusting the Lord 
in no way puts us in a vulnerable state from God's perspective. It, it just puts us in that from our perspective. You want us to do what? You want us to circumcise? Now, a couple of things here about that as well. Make flint knives, God says. Flint knives are sharpened by chipping away at the edge of the stone so that the clean, sterile stone is exposed. And since bacteria and viruses cannot grow in rock, God is showing himself here even as the preventer. He's telling his people to circumcise themselves, but he's telling them how to do it in a way that will not spread any disease or bacteria amongst them. I'm going to prevent something from happening. And God shows us all the time that, you know, he doesn't always want us to learn lessons the hard way. Many times, the the reason why God says what he does to us is to prevent us from going through something, if we'll just listen to him. And we see that here with even how he tells them to do it. And he tells them to circumcise. Now again, circumcise is just a word that means a cutting away. And in the Old Testament, it was symbolic for renouncing the flesh. For basically, it was saying before God, we are not going to trust in our flesh. We are going to totally depend upon you. But you will notice again throughout this passage that the reason why this had to be reinstituted is for the whole 40 years, while that disobedient generation wandered around the desert, they didn't circumcise anybody. Because they were disobedient, they didn't really follow any of God's commands. They didn't keep the Sabbath, they didn't circumcise. And this is part of the reason why God said, I can't let you go into the land. Because you're not spiritually ready to possess the land yet. God had to get his people spiritually to a place where they could not only have the strength to conquer what needed to be conquered, but to, to truly enjoy and possess what he had for them. And the same thing is true to us today. If, if we're at a, a plateau in our spiritual life and we're getting ready to go up to another plateau, God needs to strengthen us and, and, and get us prepared for that next level. Because when we go up to that higher, greater level with God, we're going to need that extra strength and that extra stamina and all of that once we get there. And that's why God was working with his people the way he was. And so again, militarily, logically, This is stupid from our perspective. But God asks his people to do it because more than anything else, he wants their heart. He wants to know, unlike the generation that died in the wilderness, that I have your heart and you are willing to listen, you are willing to obey, you are willing to follow, you're willing to worship me above everything and anyone else. So the Bible says in verse 3, Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites on the hill of the foreskins. By the way, before that became known as that, very significantly, that hill was a place of false worship. And so really neat is that God's people are now turning this old place of false worship, of false gods, into a place where now God has been set apart and where his people are now worshiping him through obedience. And then the Bible tells us again why God did this. 
This is why Joshua had to circumcise them, verse 4. All the men old enough to fight when they left Egypt died on the journey through the desert after they left Egypt. Now all the men who left were circumcised, but all the sons born on the journey through the desert after they left Egypt were uncircumcised. Indeed, for 40 years, the Israelites traveled through the desert until all the men old enough to fight when they left Egypt, the ones who had disobeyed the Lord, died off. By the way, the word disobeyed there means to not listen attentively and yield to. To not listen attentively and yield to. When God calls us to obey, it starts with us listening to God. And and not just, you know... Listening attentively, in, in a sense, sort of like, you know, sitting up straight and, and making sure that we get it. And then once we get it, to yield to it, to submit to it. They didn't do that. And that's why they didn't possess the promised land. For the Bible goes on to say in the middle of verse six, for so the Lord had sworn a solemn oath to them that he would not let them see the land He had sworn on oath to give them a land rich in milk and honey. And the reason they didn't possess it was because of their own unbelief and disobedience. It wasn't because God didn't want them to go after it. It It's because of their own choices. That they never experienced all that God had for them. And the same principle is true today. If you and I as believers in Jesus Christ don't on this side of glory experience all that God has for us, the only person in a sense that we can look at is us. We're the only ones holding us back. God's like, Jeff, go for it. I want to do a work in you so that you can experience that. And it's up to me then to get to a point where, like the Israelites, I have come to a place where I trust the Lord. Where I'm leaning not on my own understanding. Where in all my ways I'm acknowledging Him so that I see Him directing my paths. Verse 7. So notice the Bible says he replaced them with their sons. Literally, he rose up another generation. He stirred them up whom Joshua circumcised. They were uncircumcised. Their fathers had not circumcised them along the way. And when all the men had been circumcised, they stayed there in the camp until they had healed. Another principle right there in verse 8. Conquest began with pain. Don't miss that. Conquest, going higher and further, began with pain. And sometimes that's the way it is in our lives. Before we can go further with God, we sometimes have to be broken before God. Sometimes we have to experience pain in order to get ourselves before God in a place where God then really can mold us. Like the picture of the potter and the clay, sometimes we as the clay get awful hard-hearted. And God has to heat up our life in order for us to sort of be softer, be more pliable in the potter's hands. And when that heat comes, obviously that can bring about pain. But God doesn't allow that pain ultimately to destroy us or to discourage us. He he allows that pain so that we can again go higher. I mean, again, think about the spiritual parallel to the physical. I'm not using myself as an example, please. It would be hypocritical. But some of you who exercise, you know that principle. 
You know that if you want to get in better shape physically, you got to go through some pain. And the reason you endure that pain is because you're keeping your eye on the ultimate goal. The goal is I want to lose weight, I want to get in better shape. Same thing is true spiritually, folks. If we want to get into better shape spiritually, we're going to have to go through some pain. And can I just say that is not a popular feel-good message today in our culture and society, even amongst Christians. Hey, you want to grow? You're going to go through a lot of pain. That's why you don't see Christians flocking to a lot of Bible studies and really sticking with the whole growth training program. Because after a while, it's like... This is too much, too much work, too much pain. I'm done. And that's part of the reason why it's going to be so important at a church like the Oasis, where this is our vision, this is our, this is our value, that, that we create a, an environment and a group of people where we're continually encouraging each other. Because it is going to get discouraging, and, and there is going to be pain. And, and many of us on this journey is just going to say, I'm tired, I just want to give up. I want to drop out of the race. And that's when we need somebody else, including God himself, to come in and have an encounter whereby, in a sense, we are reinvigorated and re-inspired and re-motivated to keep on going. Because conquest begins with pain. No mountain climber who ever conquered any significant height did so without going through some pain. And God wants us to experience the highest of heights with him. And that means we're going to have to go through some pain. That's part of what this circumcision all meant. And so the Bible says, when all the men, verse 8, had been circumcised, they stayed there in the camp until they had healed. That word healed in the Hebrew means to be restored, to be revived, to be refreshed. Or we could even throw in maybe refueled. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have taken away, literally, I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Disgrace, contempt, scorn, taunting. See, the Egyptians scorned and taunted the Israelites. But God finally has rolled that away. Forty years after he delivered them. So that place is called Gilgal, even to this day. Reason why? Because the name Gilgal means a rolling away. I rolled away your disgrace today and it's at the place called a rolling away. In other words, it's a new day. It's a new dawn. We all love those days where it's a new day with God. And really, each day with God can be a new day. I can go, you know what, I'm just going to forget about yesterday. That was a bad day with me and God. But I'm going to start today fresh. And the cool thing about God is that God is willing and allows us to sort of even start every day fresh with Him. No matter what yesterday was like, today's a new day. It's a day to roll away the past. To put the past under the blood of Jesus Christ and to now march on to a new day with God. And that's what Gilgal symbolized. Maybe you and I need a Gilgal in our lives where we mark saying, you know what? My past is behind me. The failure is behind me. Today's a new day. A new day. So the Israelites camped, verse 10, in Gilgal. 
and celebrated the Passover in the evening of the 14th day of the month on the plains of Jericho. Obviously, the Passover was a memorial of God's deliverance of his people. I think significantly it was on the plains of Jericho because the name Jericho means moon. And the idea of the plains of Jericho was a cover of darkness. And it's the idea that the people of God were going to become a light in a very dark place. It was part of the reason why God wanted them to enter into the promised land. It wasn't just to to possess what God promised them, but to be a light to the people who were sitting in darkness. Which is why God calls us to that higher and greater life. So that we can grow in order to be a greater witness and testify about our God and what He has done and what He is doing in our lives. Going back to verse 1. So the Bible says they ate some of the produce of the land that day. That's significant too. Because notice, God was giving them a foretaste of what lies ahead. As a way to again encourage them and inspire them and motivate them to keep on going. They didn't eat all the produce, but they ate some of it. It was like they got a taste of some of that milk and honey. It's like, oh, this tastes really good. I want more. And God does the same thing with us spiritually. When you and I start growing and really start worshiping God and putting Him first in our life, God begins to give us a taste of what that kind of abundant life is really like so that we will, we will get a little bit of a taste of it so that we want more of God. More of what He has for us. And he was doing the same thing with the Israelites that day. They ate some of the produce of the land that day after the Passover, including unleavened bread and roasted grain. And remember, meals in the Bible are very significant. When anyone shares a meal with somebody, it, it's, it's more than just sharing a physical meal of food. It is, it is symbolic of fellowship, of, of oneness of heart, of uniting and joining together. That's why, again, one of the values here is that we will come together as God's people periodically and have meals together and sit down and eat together. I think it's significant. It's what we should do as God's people. And then the Bible informs us in verse 12 that the manna stopped appearing the day they ate some of the produce of the land. The Israelites never ate manna again. And I'm sure there was a little yippee in the camp that about that. Forty years of eating manna. That's a lot of manna. But the thing is that, remember, this manna was a supernatural gift from God for their desert journey. It was a special provision of God for His people. Even though they were disobedient, God still took care of His people by supplying them with manna every day. And every day they had to go out and gather manna just for that day. They couldn't, they couldn't hog it. They couldn't hoard it. They couldn't get enough in for a week or two. They were supposed to just go out and get, because God was even going to teach this unbelieving generation who was raising new children that was going to go into the promised land to trust God every day for what they need for that day. Verse 13. I love this last passage in Joshua 5. Because this is really where it comes down to seeing the burden and the weight that Joshua had of, what do I do? The Jordan's behind me, Jericho's in front of me, God hasn't told me anything yet. What do I do? How do I do it? When do I do it? I don't know what to do. 
Maybe some of you are there right now. Maybe you know of somebody who's there right now. They just don't know what to do. And what we learn from Joshua 5.13 through Joshua 5.15 is that when we don't know what to do, we need to learn to choose the one thing we can do. And the one thing we can always do, no matter what our circumstances or anything, is that we can choose to worship God right there. Look at this passage as we wrap it up tonight. When Joshua was near Jericho, I think he went out just by himself, just probably pouring his heart out and praying and just saying, God, what's up? I haven't heard from you since we got... I, I know you want us to conquer Jericho and, and get up into those mountains. And, and how do we do it? When do we do it? What do we do? And the weight was really pressing in. He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him holding a drawn sword. And when you see someone with a sword drawn, you know they are ready for battle. And Joshua approached him and asked him, significant question, are you on our side or are you allied with our enemies? And Joshua reveals the heart of a lot of us as human beings at times like this. It's when we reduce life's battles as our battles. That we see all of life's battles as our battles. And when we do that, we, we shrink into this really sad state of, first of all, trying to get other people on our side because we see everything is it's got to be our side and, and we've got to affirm us and so we, we need to get as many people on our side as possible to make us feel good or we need to make sure that God's on our side, right? Because it's all about us. And God says to us, as he says to Joshua, verse 14, Truly, I am the commander of the Lord's army. This was no human being, folks. This was no angel. This was what we call a Christophany. This was an appearance of Jesus Christ pre-Bethlehem in the Old Testament. Remember, Jesus Christ is the eternal God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity have existed the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And that word for God is Elohim, and Elohim is plural. The Bible teaches the Trinity in the very first verse. And Jesus Christ is appearing here to Joshua. And here's what Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing, this is Jeff's paraphrase. Here's what Jesus says to Joshua. I'm not here to take sides, I'm here to take over. Which is what God wants us to see. God doesn't reduce himself to taking sides. God is saying, you better be on my side. You better be worshiping and concerned about what side 
I'm on or what side you're on with me rather than questioning God, you know, doing something and then hoping God blesses it after the fact, as many do. And God, I did this and, and I hope you'll bless me for it. Instead of, first of all, figuring out, is this what God wants? And then knowing God will bless me for it because it's his will. And this is what God's saying to Joshua. I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. This isn't your battle, Joshua. This is my battle. And that makes all the difference in the world. Now, there are some battles, and I don't have time to get into this tonight, but there are some battles God doesn't want us to get involved with. And when we get involved as human beings in battles that God doesn't want us to get involved with, we will fail every time. Because God said, I I never ask you to get involved with that. But when we know that this is what God wants us to do, And all of us as Christians should know that God wants us to go higher and further with Him. And and so, knowing that, that we know that God will help us to overcome any opposition and obstacle in our way of our spiritual growth, then we know this isn't our battle. This is God's battle. This is why that young shepherd boy, David, could say to the Philistine giant that he faced that day. This battle's the Lord's. This isn't my fight. If this was my fight, I'd be dead. I mean, even this stone, I might be really good at slinging stones because I practiced for many years, but I don't even think if I nailed you with this stone without the supernatural power of God behind that stone, I don't think I'd probably kill the giant, Goliath. But the reason why David was able to march out in confidence on that battlefield and face his giant when no one else in Israel had the courage was because he knew that this battle with Goliath wasn't David's fight. It was God's fight. And God was going to show up and God was going to fell that giant. And folks, you and I can have that same faith and that same confidence with what all, whatever giants are in our way in our life that's preventing us from growing with the Lord. The Lord is reminding Joshua like he does of us of his personal presence and powerful provision. The Lord says, now I have arrived. And notice Joshua's very important response. Verse 14. It is a response that each of us need more in our life. Joshua bowed down. Those are words of worship. Joshua bowed down with his face to the ground and asked, what does my master want to say to his servant? His response is one of worship and submission. When he first saw the gentleman with his sword drawn, Before he knew who it really was, it was like, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or their side? And now, knowing who it is, he is bowing in worship before him. And basically saying, God, whatever you want, I'm just your humble servant. This is what God 
truly wants from all of us. Especially in the times in our life where we don't know what to do and we're between the rock and the hard place or we're between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea or we're between the the Jordan River and our Jerichos in our life. God says, bow down and worship. Bow down and worship. And this is why many times, as the writer of Hebrews says, our worship is is a sacrifice. Because we don't feel like worshiping all the time. But we do it because it's the right thing to do. And then it's in our worship that God will begin to direct our steps and our path. Notice then in verse 15, he's called the commander of the Lord's army, the angelic hosts. He answers Joshua, and as if we doubted up to this point that this is the Lord Jesus Christ, God, a very God, he says to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet because the place where you stand is holy. Holy ground. Same thing Moses experienced at the burning bush. And removing one's sandals was a sign of a servant. And a sign of respect and a sign of submission. And notice that this special encounter with God lifted a great burden from Joshua's shoulder. This is why God wants us to have encounters with him. He wants us to worship him and come into his presence because it's in those moments when we come into the presence of God, bowing down in worship to him, that many times the greatest of weights and burdens begins to lift off of our shoulders when we finally realize this battle that I'm fighting is not my battle. This is the Lord's battle and he will fight for me. In fact, in closing tonight, could you please turn back to the book of Exodus 14, verse 14. Exodus 14, 14. In a very important time in Israel's history, a crisis of faith, Moses says in Exodus 14, 14 to the people of God, the Lord, and notice in your Bible, it is capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, the self-existing one, the one that doesn't need anything or anyone outside of himself. Our existence is all because of God. God is the one who keeps us existing. God needs no one or nothing else outside of himself ever to exist, to be. And the Lord, though, that great God of the universe, the master of the universe, notice, will fight for you. God will go to battle for you. And that same God today will go to battle for you too. He's done it in my life. 
I'm sure He's done it in your life and He will continue to do it with every opposition and obstacle and giant and and Jordan River and Jericho and Red Sea and whatever it is that stands in our way. God will fight for you and for me. And then notice, I love this, and you can be still. As I studied this word in the Hebrew, it means to remain calm and composed. God doesn't want his people to get all lathered up and worked up. God always wants his people to have enough faith that in any circumstance, in any situation, we remain calm and composed. Something else interesting, and I'll close with this. That Hebrew word also has another alternate meaning. And it may seem strange at first. It means a field that has just been plowed. And yet as I studied other places where that word was used, it began to make sense to me. Because that means that It's a time where, in a sense, my heart, the soil, if you will, of my heart, is ready to receive what God wants to pour into my life. That like the parables of Jesus where the seed was the word of God and God spread his seed and it would just hit and it wouldn't penetrate. That sometimes in those crises, shoulders weighed down with burdens and cares and all of that, that's when the ground of my life has been plowed up enough for God truly to speak into my life and for me to be in a place where I'm willing to listen and obey. Unlike maybe some other times where I'm not really listening as attentively. I'm not, I'm not as with it as I would be in those fights that I find myself in, those battles that I find myself in the middle of. And again, you and I may be at a place in our life where we just don't know what to do. The one takeaway I would like all of us to take away from Joshua chapter 5 tonight is simply this. When we're in those moments of life where we just aren't hearing God or seeing God or experiencing God like we normally do and we don't know what that next step is and we don't know where to go and how to do it or what to do, I believe it's in those moments of such uncertainty when we are very vulnerable that God says, Jeff, bow down and worship me. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this tremendous chapter tonight. God, as as we think about this, we we can really say this really happened. This wasn't some fairy tale or made up story. This, This really happened. And God, you want us to have those encounters with you just like Joshua did. Instead of looking at life's battles as our battles to fight. Instead of reducing the battles of life 
to make it all about us. And asking, God, are you on our side or their side? And whose side are we on? If we would just humble ourselves and worship you, I believe you will begin to truly direct us at that moment. But God, like you say in your word, you want our worship before you want anything else. You you want our heart. You want our life. Before you want to see any great feats and service and ministry that we can do. You want us. So God help us here at the Oasis to remember that though we all should be serving and ministering and active and all of that, that before all of that, God, that we are spending time bowing before our God, adoring you, praising you, acknowledging you, worshiping you as the God that you are. Help us, Lord, to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. Have a great rest of the week. Hope to see you all on Sunday. <laughs>